Recording from Boulder, Colorado on May 6, 2017, it's Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt discuss pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Gustinelli. I am here with the greatest of all sinners, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. Good morning. How are you doing today, Jeff? Fantastic. Glorious morning here in Boulder. Hopefully, Dr. Zen is feeling the same way. He's Paul Gustinelli, my brother. I am. Good morning. Good to see you guys again. It's been a little while. It has been a little while, but we have lots to talk about today. We're going to get into uh, passenger dragging, some (laughs) pre-crime, talk about the French elections, and get your derby predictions. But before we do that, I always like to find out what's top of your mind, Jeff. Sounds good. Um, A few opening comments for us to chat about. Please. Uh, Temptation bundling, uh, vinyl, care and feeding of vinyl, mm-hmm. uh, silliest thing you do to be polite, and um, men wearing spanks. So let's get right to temptation bundling. Let's. It marries two activities, uh, one you probably should do with one that you want to do or need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it is uh, taking the Kindle where I watch all sorts of garbage that I wouldn't be able to watch with my wife, like documentaries and stuff that she doesn't want to watch, more crap about wars and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, she, and, and, uh, and that's really fun. And it's been able, it's been a successful thing for me to integrate uh, my workout in a way that I never had before and never would probably without it. I see it more and more in, in popular culture, this idea of temptation bundling. Is there something successful? Uh, is, there, is there an example you guys have had at all? I need a little help with this one personally because I've got the, the first part of it but not the second part of it. <laughs> but I'm looking out on my lawn and with my two feet yeah. tall grass, the, the jungle out there. Yeah. And I, just, I really have a resistance to going out, taking care of the garden and mowing the lawn. Yeah. But I need something to bundle it with. I, um, well, boy, in the, in the spirit of helping you out, uh, pop on some crazy music on the headphones or... Uh, but something that you, you know, I love that idea, but like something that you're like, buy yourself a new album or you treat yourself to something or an audiobook or a podcast or something like that. I mean, I kind of like the Garden of Eden state of nature thing you've got going out there. <laughs> um, and the lion and the lamb out there is, is a nice touch. So that's the other way to do it is to, is to find a reason not to do the thing that oh, you think is supposed to do. Right, right. <laughs> bundle it with something. <laughs> bundle, bundle that task right it. out. Yeah. <laughs> bundle that temptation right out of your life. (laughs) Well, I don't know if this falls into the category, but I think something that I've traditionally done is when I cook, and, 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 you know, cooking is sometimes a chore. Sometimes it's enjoyable. I do like cooking, but a lot of times it's, you know, chopping veggies and stuff. And uh, I always have this desire to have a glass of wine going when I cook. And maybe it's because I used to work in restaurants when I was a younger man. But, um, you know, nowadays, and typically not morning cooking, but if I'm in the afternoon, you know, I'm, I'm cooking at night, it's like, hey, I want that bottle, that, that little glass of wine there ready while I'm chopping the veggies and stuff like Does that count? As temptation mean, it might. I it mean, might. it seems to me like if you cook more yeah. and you like cooking, yeah. I think it probably falls right in there. Helps me, helps um, me uh, go along. Okay. Or you might have an issue. Uh, <laughs> you might have a problem. Let's uh, unpack that in another yeah. episode if we could. Karen feeding required of a true love of the newly hip and fashionable world of vinyl. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Is it an aspirational goal? Is not being able to do it an indictment of you as a human being? Is it an anachronism? Is it the best and the most glorious glimpse into nostalgia? What is it? 
Well, it's interesting for Ray and I. This is kind of a landmine in our past because our dad was a it was and is an audiophile with a huge record collection and kind of borderline fetishist when it came to his LP <laughs> to the point where he actually kicked out of our house a good friend of the family for touching the needle on his phonograph. Which when was he a, had told him. When he had told him exactly. Right. When I told him not to touch it. Peter Wainwright, don't touch the needle. He touched it. Boom. Booted out of the house. Get out. A friend of decades. <laughs> long-standing. <laughs> then the flip side was, because my, my dad was fascinated with the artifact of vinyl and he would protect the good ones, but he had all this old stuff that wasn't worth a nickel, you know, at the flea market. One day I came into the kitchen. I, I saw him crouched in front of the stove, peering in with the light on in the stove, looking in. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He opened the door and there are LPs, old LPs, melting over the grid of the stove as he added on. He was creating sculptures out of them. So it, for you, it's it's a, it's almost an inherent good, but with some frightening glimpses into the past. There, sort of I think there is a power to the artifact. Yeah. So so as as we get into it and the nostalgia that it generates, I think that's all good stuff. Have you been getting into vinyl, Jeff? I mean, you, you asked about it, and it's almost now as part of the currency of conversation. If you're in any sort of hipster related conversation, you got to be able to address you know the question of vinyl in some right. way. What's well, your experience? You know, I'm so passionate about music, and I love music on every level. But as every new thing that I should be doing, it's it, it has a liberal. Uh, dollop of shame on top of it. Um, just a scoop of shame yeah. on top of uh -huh. my uh, my psyche ice cream. Yeah. Psychic ice cream. So, you know, the other day I get um, the 180 um, gram Miles Davis kind of blue mm -hmm. to reissue. It's it's lovely. It's cool looking. It's really fun. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. And and so I'm working and I'm temptation bundling a little bit. I, I set it in on the corner of a table I'm going to come listen to it near the turntable. Um, it's just a nice sunny day. Set it in that little nook with the ray of sun coming in the room. Uh -oh. And uh, go over and work for a few minutes and come back. And it's... Uh -oh. I have ruined Kind of Blue in a spectacular oh way. Uh -huh. Minutes in the sun. Uh -huh. and, um, and it's a little bit expensive. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I feel like... Damn vinyl. Vinyl's so stupid and <laughs> fragile and silly and dumb and this is the dumbest technology ever. And uh, or is it that you just you know you need to be more careful and more thoughtful? And it's well, my advice to you is, uh, like me, don't own the turntable. Despite our our pedigree <laughs> with our dad, I don't own a turntable now. Just the I couldn't play vinyl if I get it, but I do get it as hand me downs from my dad. So I've got Pete Seeger's Abioyo uh, in a uh, album, uh, an LP frame hanging on my wall. Gotcha. Do you can still do it with Miles, even though it's a little bit warped. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> thing it's worth right now. Kind of blue is kind of warped. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing, silliest thing you do to be polite. For me, I will postpone going to the bathroom for very long periods of time. That's just TMI. To, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think no, no it's, it's, it's on, it's on this the particular podcast. You gotta, you gotta keep no going. Yeah. This is the moment <laughs> that was TMI <laughs> in our podcast. This is that where we draw that <laughs> So, so it's like if I'm having a particularly great conversation or I don't want someone to leave or this and that, I will, I will go to the point where you're just gritting your teeth, man. It oh, is, uh, man, that's sad to hear. No, it's, you know, I mean, maybe it is sad to hear. It's yeah. silly. Yeah, I it is silly. I hope it's yeah. not sad. Yeah. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that I, you know, don't want them to go. Don't want to break that yeah. magic, the fun going back and forth and this and that. What, is there anything silly you guys do? 
I think there is, and I appreciate you asking the question because I think there are five, ten of these a day that I do and, <laughs> and that we do and when we think about it. The one that really stood out for me was what I call overdooring. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's when you, when you hold open a door for a completely able-bodied person <laughs> who probably wants to like have the feeling of the door being <laughs> open and you're like, you're swinging it wide, 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 so they don't even touch it. They, it won't touch them. They won't touch it. No, no, I've got it. You, no, no, this is me helping you. You're clear. Yeah, you're, you're clear. You're clear for landing. It's, it's completely not needed, and it's, and it's utterly silly. Over-opening, over-dooring. You know, I think that I what I do, not so much the over-opening, but it's maybe um, holding too long. You know, it's like uh, there's a little bit of a contract between everyone opening the doors. There's a politeness. I'm opening it, and then you can take it. Especially if you've got a party of people and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But occasionally, it's especially with younger people, that contract is not fully communicated. Mm-hmm. And I just wind up with a stream of people. <laughs> like it's a, you know, a movie no, theater. Oh, there's 600 people going by. And then I'm mad at them. You know, I was doing this polite thing, which yeah. no one asked me to do. No one asked me to do it. Yes. And I'm like, hey, you back off. You take the door. You hold it for the rest of the group of people, you jerk. They're like, man, what the hell was that? Next up, men wearing Spanx. Now, you guys are probably wearing Spanx now. Not. I'm not. Um, so so Spanx are the snug, slimming undergarments that hold you in where you want to be held. Um, and and so my, my, my wife winds up. It's funny because the story starts to fall apart now that I'm telling it. <laughs> she told me that she, I think she told me it was like a little discount or she got one free or something trying to introduce mm. men to Spanx, okay. Manx or yeah. something, she, right? She wound up but with But she them probably, ju- yeah, she somehow yeah. acquired a black t-shirt and a white t-shirt. Okay. Yesterday I was needing a white t-shirt. Uh-huh. Uh, sorry, black t-shirt. We're going out mm-hmm. um, and I was like, I'll throw this on. I do, and I wear it all day just to try to see what it's all about in this sort of thing. And, and I want, this is the women's corner, because women are such an important part of our podcast, and we talk about issues that are important huge to women. Huge segment of the audience, huge. And, um, and so I want to get a little bit of feedback from the women about, you know, uh, the, the difficulty I had is that I thought it would be this wonderful thing. I thought I'd look slim. I thought I would feel great. And instead, you know, I, I felt larger, fatter, more gigantic than I've ever felt in my life when I was wearing it. And so is it, you know, is it because I'm just used to only wearing kind of loose fitting clothing and that sort of thing or women? Are my manx just showing me how truly disgusting I feel? And I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a tough one to take up the baton. I do think we need to hear from our female listeners in that regard. I can only imagine that they'd say something along the lines of, you know, welcome to the club, buddy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> jerk. Yeah, jerk. big point. Yeah. But I think also no comments, I think, from us might be the Thank you. appropriate I'm going, I'm going response. No That's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. So let's get into a topic that everybody's heard about in the past few weeks. Um, It's about the United Airlines incident where a passenger was literally dragged off the plane because of this overbooking scenario. Um, I wanted to get your guys' take on this. Is is this a window into systemic abuses? Um, Is this an overreaction in some ways? It's statistically unlikely to to have this happen, but it happens. It really happens. So, uh, I don't know. Everybody's jumping on the outrage bandwagon uh, duly enough. Are you guys jumping on the outrage outrage bandwagon? Yes or no? (laughs) I am jumping on the outrage bandwagon. I think it it does show a systemic problem in, in the travel industry. Um, 
And, you know, when you first saw the video, you weren't quite sure what was going on, mm-hmm. the expression on his face. You didn't know exactly. But then when the full context came out, you realized this was, this was quite abusive. And then when it came out that they were actually getting them out to get employees on to get to their next one, when here's a doctor who needs to get, you know, it just became um, the, the, the lack of sensitivity, you know, mm-hmm. it just became incredibly kind of brutal. And, and I think it does happen. My, my feeling of abuse, and this is not close to being assaulted on the plane, but, but you do get assaulted orally mm-hmm. <laughs> from the, I'm thinking Frontier Airlines, well, they'll go on a 10, 15 minute screed over their loudspeakers 10 minutes before you land to get you to get the Frontier credit card. Yeah, it's right, like, I do right. not need that piped into my eardrums at volume yeah. in that situation. It, and I actually think it's 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 quite abusive. Yeah. Um, but what do you think, Jeff? I think that the victim played it up um, and um, for probably all it was, was worth. And he was a mess. However, um, you know, it points out to a lot of problems, um, real problems um, in the airline industry uh, and, and more of a fear. And the fear is related to being treated poorly or unfairly in what is a potentially dangerous environment, both for airline personnel and for passengers. It's a very foreign and relatively new environment, one which evolutionarily we have not been necessarily prepared for, um, being herded into a giant metal tube with incredibly powerful engines attached where we rapidly gain tens of thousands of feet of altitude, travel around with, uh, um, you know, about two to 400 strangers at 600 miles per hour at 40,000 feet, confined to very small spaces, Mm. uh, with several of the strangers uh, with screaming infants and now service animals who may or may not be screaming. And so, you know, it's it's a strange place. It's a weird environment. And it's also it's more weird in, a, in an age of fear of terrorism and some of those sorts of things where the employees are feeling that they're put upon and they're fearful and we're fearful. You know, we also occasionally see crashes and planes blowing up or dropping out of the sky. It's it's weird. And the law around flying is weird. A lot of the laws around and what we would expect as, you know, we would expect that we bought a seat on a particular plane and you do not have a right to a particular seat on a particular plane, which may have to change. But I think that you pointed Dr. Zen on the most important point and and that is, is that could it have been executed in some other way? Could you have done this? I mean, some of the thoughts, some stuff I read was like they could give a lot more to, to incent people to voluntarily give up seats. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to pull us off a plane in our hurry world, and we, we talked a little bit about the hurry contagion that I seem to feel all the time. Well, we all have that. Mm-hmm. When we're on a plane. We really are trying. We have somewhere to get, mm-hmm. usually at a particular time. Mm-hmm. Pulling us off a plane is not a trivial thing for most of us. Maybe it should be, but it's mm-hmm. not for most of us. So... Do it with more tact and style. Do it with more forethought. Take care of your own employees or pay us so much that we're glad to jump off the plane. Mm-hmm. They lost billions of dollars, I believe, in in uh, in value in those, those right. lengthy days, right. which would pay for a universe, yeah. uh, an, an infinite amount of vouchers that were really... <laughs> and I think that is the one change I did hear come out of it. I don't know if it was just United or other airlines as well, raised that number to like $10,000 from like $1,000 or something that... I agree. That, yeah. That's that's the single biggest thing that will assuage a lot of the concerns around this thing. Yeah. Simole- simoleons speak. So, you know, the, the weirdness and fear 
I think created a weird stew that this doctor was right in the middle of that pot. And yeah, so absolutely. Well, uh, let's move on. You know, I have a question for you guys. Are we already living in the age of minority report? And that's the, the classic Philip K. Dick uh, story that became the Tom Cruise movie, one of the only good Tom Cruise movies in my personal opinion. But it's, it's the one where there were mutants who were able to uh, predict what? when people would be committing crimes in the future. And so there was a pre-crime unit who were tasked with rounding up these criminals to be. Mm-hmm. And nowadays we have these programs that are driven by big data and algorithms where they are predicting uh, communities of people and individuals who are likely to commit crimes. And, and there are these uh, programs in Chicago being one of them where it had a list of people with you know 1,500 people on it. Program started in 2013 where they were identifying people likely to commit crimes. Is this chilling or is this sort of a positive direction? Are we already living in this age, this algorithm-driven big data age of uh, pre-crime and minority report? What do you think, Jeff? I think we are. But, um, you know, I think that I was just the victim of a crime. (laughs) And so was Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) With you unfairly punishing him Mm -hmm. for a career where I challenge you to list a single film... (laughs) In which he wasn't engaging or funny or a good actor, or at least entertaining, from the, the whimsical madness of Tropical Thunder to the fever dream science fiction magic of Vanilla Dream or Sky or something like that. I'm mad, okay? So don't, I'm just mad. All right, okay. All right, so um, you know what? It's the, this is troubling. And it's, we are in the age of minority report in a way. We certainly are, are at least at the beginning of that. Throughout history, we have been haunted by the reactive nature of law enforcement and personal security. It is, I think, profoundly troubling and scary for people to think that I can't prevent evil people who intend to do evil things from doing them and perhaps uh, doing them to me. That... Law enforcement is oftentimes primarily reactive, and it makes, it makes them crazy when you talk with cops, when you talk with people who do these sorts of things. With DAs, with judges, this sort of thing in my world, when we talk about this, it makes people crazy that it's so reactive. And so this is a potential solution, but oh my goodness, at what cost? You know, there's a, a list in Chicago with 1,500 people on it. They're on the strategic subject list, the heat list, the... Going to be usual suspects <laughs> list the the mm. possible mm. usual suspects list. Um, you had sent some. We we talked about pre crime that mm. the new documentary that premiered the past weekend at, at Toronto's Hot Docs Film Festival and talks about these special algorithms that calculate the risk of you committing a crime. That's the way it was termed, which was very personal and scary. I did not not like that. So you know the thing to me is that it's. Um, the crazy thing is how much of a black box it is. The crazy thing is how there's no transparency to these lists. When you read about, there's like one guy who works at a university in Chicago, I think, that was connected to that, or, or one of the mm-hmm. cities. Right. And yeah. he provided the algorithm, which yeah. seems, I mean, they suggest it was proprietary. And, and oh my goodness, mm-hmm. it all seemed very troubling. I want to leave you with a haiku oh, right. on oh. pre-crime. Okay. Dreaming your caper. I've already caught you. Your mind is my mind. Taking the point of view of the database. (laughs) (laughs) It's about time. (laughs) Yes, finally. It's about time. (laughs) 
I think when you look through history, when you hear people say, we have a list and you might be on it, you know, good things come from yes, that, right? Yes, right? Yes, I mean, I think yes, there's sure. nothing chilling about that at all. The way, the way that the, And you talk, can't get off it. <laughs> you might be on it. Yeah, you might You don't know if you're yeah. on it. <laughs> the, the, way, the way they talk about this is chilling. Uh-huh. The, what I heard the Chicago police actually talk about their heat list is they're saying, we know that you are in danger of committing a crime. So they're actually protect, protecting you against your natural instincts to commit a crime. You're in danger. You're uh-huh. getting close uh-huh. to actually acting on those bad thoughts that we all have. And we know it. And we're going to protect you and Good. society and us. It's just it's just weird, Good. isn't it? Good. It's just kind of weird. And when you think, I flash back to the way we opened the show, The Seven Deadly Sins, Greatest of all sinners, very, very familiar with those. I'm familiar with the, the <laughs> vows I take, all these things, you know, lying and, and thinking ill and acting ill towards people that that we actually the way the reason they're brought to consciousness as sins and brought to consciousness as vows is because we're prone to do them. We're, we're always pre-sin. We're always pre-crime in, in, this, in this view of the world. Wouldn't you agree? I buy that. I think, though, that one of the things that scares me the most, though, is the ability and, and the profound growth and challenge and opportunity we have for, for stopping short of it. That we might have the thought, we might have that idea, but not doing it means something. Yeah. Thinking it, I, I get it. Maybe there's a moral wound or an existential wound of some kind in that way. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you don't do it, there's some magic to that. And is there a, a point where you're stealing that to this or... Uh, not just stealing the opportunity for growth, but about obviously convicting you the second before you were to say, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Right. Is the algorithm accurate enough? And can it ever be to predict those people who are capable of not committing the crime they might be prone to versus those who, you know, right. will commit it? Right. The, it the, can, it, you know? the ones who have the mens rea. Up until the point they don't do the actus reus. <laughs> and, and those are such important parts of wrong and crime and that sort of thing in our yes. society that do I want... A, there was a talk about geographic help where the algorithms would use weather and some other things that didn't seem profile You know, it seemed like there might be merit to that data. Put, put more law enforcement in areas where there might be more difficulties. Yeah. I don't know. I seem like there's some wisdom to that. Right. But the whole thing definitely is troubling. Yes. You guys remember that Star Trek episode where the two warring civilizations were going at each other? Absolutely. And then, and then, but they took the bombs out and they yeah. just said the, the computer would determine right. what got hit. And right. then everybody on that ship or city walked into the disintegration right. chamber. Yes, I remember that. Chilling. Yeah. Well, Gene Roddenberry. It's not good either. Gene Roddenberry was a genius, and uh, Tom Cruise. I don't know. I liked. I did like Risky mm. Business. I will give you that. It's a great one. Well, it's perfect. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. It's like whoa. I want to get a couple of predictions from you guys. We're going to start with the French presidential election, which is going to be held tomorrow. Recent news is that the uh, campaign of the centrist candidate, Macron, was hacked and a bunch of his materials went out on WikiLeaks. But the French have this interesting system where they, they have like this radio cone of silence uh, in, the, in the day before the election. So nobody's saying much about it. Um, but Macron is going up against the populist, in air quotes, uh, Marine Le Pen. I want you guys to predict a winner and tell me your thoughts about how much this impacts Americans and how much, you know, we should care about it or, or, or do care about it. Paul? 
I've been fascinated by the race. I, I, yeah. I think as a lot of people are, I think it is important for the mm -hmm. world. It's important for Europe. It's important for America. It, it's a consequential matter that's happening. Mm -hmm. I fear we've seen this story before very recently mm -hmm. in the Brexit vote and in the vote in America. We've got a nationalist and a, I would say a faux populist, you know, against mm -hmm. a globalist and all the cultural um, uh you know, matters that get wrapped up in those kinds kinds of ideologies. And, you know, despite the, the polling, I actually think and fear that um, Le Pen is going to win it. Whoa. Well, we have seen what happens when Dr. Zen makes a prediction is that he tends to be right uh, to our distress because we tend to line up on the other side, Jeff. So we've got a underdog pick, Le Pen, coming out of Dr. Zen. What do you think? Well, I think that, um, you know, All the Right Moves was before <laughs> Risky Business. And although I think kind of a wrestling-based movie, it really uh, was very strong. And another very strong performance. All right. Well, um, we'll leave that. And, you the... know, I mean, listen, uh, it's my favorite Transformers movie where Macron <laughs> defeats Optimus Prime. Um, and Cruz is with Megan Fox in that one. It's, oh, it's very it? okay. powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that... I think I think it is consequential, and and I agree with you, and I'm terrified that you predicted Le Pen to win, Me too. Um, and, and and not quite in the same way. I, I really believe that I, I don't believe that um, we're at the tipping point of human history with any of these cultures. I believe they're far larger than one person. We know one person can blow it all up. We do know that. I don't believe we're there. I don't, and maybe that's my own optimism uh, trying to come through. But I don't think Le Pen's going to destroy. Um, France, although it could hurt France, and so and it could hurt the world. So I, I, I get why we're thinking about it. It's, it. But my perspective is a little different. That I think the election tells us very much about the um, boogeyman of the populism contagion that seems to be um, it lives in particular seems to be hyperventilating about, and maybe for good reason. I mean, we do we should be concerned about these things. We should be vigilant about waves of populism. But populism in itself is is can be a good, that's for sure. And and so we need to be careful about making that an inherent evil of some kind. I mean, I'm as worried about what seems to be a kind of a fascist left for the first time in a long time than, than in some ways uh, good people, populists, wanting to take care of themselves. But we'll see. I mean, there's definitely where we should be vigilant. So the situation... Le Pen has been consistently about 20 points behind the election, which is far more than, than Trump was. And, and yet I get it. I mean, we're so fresh with that where we were all very wrong about that, that, you know, how can I possibly say Le Pen can't win? But she can't win. Um, and so, you know, I think Conor McGregor has a better chance of beating Floyd Mayweather in that Ooh. sham of a fight than Le Pen wow. has of beating uh, Macron. So um, to me, it's a little bit of a big media manufactured issue. And I understand it because we're all listening because we're scared. Um, France has in some way, um, and I guess we don't want them to hear me say this because they're such um, jerks in so many ways, <laughs> but France has become the heart and soul of the world in, in a way, um, it, despite its flaws and warts. And I think it has become that in part because it became a bit of a laboratory the world was watching in regards to liberty and tolerance and openness in the face of maybe non-integrating immigration and, and uh, the specter of terrorism. So particularly immigration of folks with no intention of integration or assimilation. Um, and, you know, there's long been pressure on immigrants to integrate and assimilate. Many would say there's a, like a social contract of sorts that expects and demands a willingness to integrate and assimilate. 
And, and maybe it's okay that that contract was payment of the modern world to combat xenophobia that's inherent in us all, um, and, and let alone cultural uh, xenophobia. So France, I think, was in some ways seen as doing this very well, perhaps as a model of the rest of the world to be more open and tolerant with France seeming to unravel. It is terrifying for us all to behold. So I think the good news is that unlike our election, I believe there's more of a centrist candidate in Macron, and, um, and I think he will win, who see, generally seems wise and willing to listen and try to govern from the center. Uh, Nouveau, we will see. But the fact of the matter is, is that I'm far more afraid of if Le Pen wins, I'm not nearly as afraid as if Macron wins and France continues to unravel. Mm, uh, what that means Boy, yeah. is very, very scary. So um, I hope I'm right. Although in these podcasts uh, with predictions, I never am. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, the tale has yet to be told uh, with how things unfold with the election. And uh, we'll tally up the counts uh, during the next podcast. Kentucky d- switching gears. The Kentucky Derby is today in just a few hours, post time at 4.30 Mountain Time. Let me get your guys' predictions on who you think will win. We had a a Triple Crown winner last year. I don't know that anybody believes uh, that anybody's strong enough to do that that this year. So it's it's a much more open field. What do you think? I think that uh, switching gears is perhaps a, another spectacular possible name for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing yeah. that all the time. Yeah. I Patch! Of course, <laughs> Patch is my choice. Uh-huh. You cannot root. You can't help but root for a one-eyed horse. <laughs> and uh, although a uh, one-eyed horse has never won the Kentucky Derby, that does not stop me from making the very brave choice that fourth is a charm and that uh, that despite the very, uh, very difficult... Um, Post position yeah. mm. that uh, there was, I, I read some other folks, some smart folks who talked about how um, a one-eyed horse is has a management issues that are different than other horses with when they see the crowd and when they do this and that, and so that that can kind of create some magic <laughs> that Pat will, will lead Patch to victory. Patch to victory, the populist's <laughs> choice. Who yeah, can vote is. against? A one-eyed horse. <laughs> I, I am not going to root against Pat the one-eyed horse. Although, if there were a three-legged horse in the race, I would root for oh, the three-legged horse okay. over the one-eyed horse. Right. What is that? Go ahead. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick. Um, I, I'll root, I'll root for Patch, but I'm gonna pick Always Dreaming on the. the Always the, 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 the I'm five going spot. with McCracken. Five to one. I've heard McCracken has got uh, a lot of energy. He's looking good. He's done good. In the rain, so he's shown some mutter. They call him the mutter, right? Um, I think there's an Abbott Costello joke around that, which I can't remember. But uh, you know, good on the wet track. So uh, that's, who's on that's mud? my vote. Yeah. Who's on mud? Who's on mud? No, yeah. that's a different. That's yeah, a different riff. Um, Paul, you've been on the infield in, in Churchill Downs. I have. The Breeders, I the Breeders have Cup. The Breeders Cup. Quite quite the scene. Way isn't back, it? 1988, I believe yeah. I was there. It's a great scene. It's yeah. a great party. It's the hoi polloi in there. The ones who can't afford, you know, the high price tickets. Right. You can't really see the race from the infield, but you right. are having a blast. You're still pounding mint juleps even at the Breeders Cup. Is that the deal? Indeed. Great. Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, let's get some final thoughts for you before we wrap up this baby. Outsiders taps. I can go on and on. <laughs> I just, you're just such a nut. Ruth, you, you didn't it see it coming, like, did you? Oh, oh, it's the soul makes you me guys crazy. are spiritual guys. Me, I don't know. My full confession. Maybe it's the Scientology thing that's turning me off from the persona. Okay. Nowadays, Hollywood okay. stars are all about their persona. You buy into the persona. You buy into the role. You buy into the movie. I'll go see a Tom Hanks movie any day. Of course I you will. Know. Tom Cruise. I maybe I just don't want to vote with I my wallet. Jack Reacher's fun. 
Edge of Tomorrow is Reacher is supposed to be this big commanding guy. Tom Cruise is like 4'7 or something. Why does he do the Russian? I know. Edge of Tomorrow is a spectacular science fiction film. Let's wrap it up. Please. Some, some, from our listeners, I mean, let's let them center us, bring us back. Um, ask Dr. Zen, a Mrs. Aja from Palenque, Mexico. Um, I believe that you are the Cormac McCarthy of podcasting. Now, yeah. please. I mean, that's yeah. too much. I mean, I'm a lot. I'm a lot. Yeah. And I'm special, but yeah. that's that's saying a lot. But what would you guys tell her? What what are we? Who are we? What are we trying to do here? I would ask, have, have you not seen The Three Stooges? Because clearly, <laughs> if anything, we're The Three Stooges podcasting. Okay. I think maybe we need to rename the podcast No Country for Smart Men. <laughs> All right. So Hell or High Water is by far the best movie of 2016 I've spoken <laughs> Um, seen anything good recently on TV or movies? A uh, big thumbs up to Hell or High Water, which I also just saw in the last two weeks. Really good. But I'm going to throw another one in the ring, which is The Handmaiden. Korean movie. Really noirish. Set in the 30s. Lots of twists and turns. Well acted. Awesome cinematography. Really well done. Highly recommended. Fantastic. I'm going to go with the small tube TV. I've been watching Fargo, been a fan since the first season. They're on the third season right now. Got some great actors. Uh, Ewan McGregor is in it. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Carrie Coon plays a key role. All appealing actors, excellent actors. And the showrunners, Noah Hawley. Um, he also did Legion. He's been doing the Fargo series. Um, a great visual storyteller, very distinctive style, and highly enjoyable. If it's if it's your bubble, he creates a great bubble, and it's nice to be in that bubble. Recommended. All the Rights Move was a wrestling. It was a football movie, not a wrestling. It was movie. not a wrestling movie. It's right? a football yeah. movie. Um, last thing, loving, not loving. Are you ready? Lay it on us. What do you? What, what are, these days? What are you loving, and Love, what are you not loving? Well, you know, I'm just gonna go loving because just that's loving. the kind of guy All I am. Right. I'm right. a lover, right. um, a giver, yeah. and um, there are these crazy, incredibly detailed, philosophically oriented internet analyses of TV shows and movies out on YouTube, and I've been turned on to a couple of them that were just. They expanded my mind. They were really fun. Um, I'm not sure what I watched or who I am after it. But like, for example, um, Film Theory, it's a, a YouTube sensation, uh -huh. uh, did something yeah. on Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, Decoded. And Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is this weird, crazy fever dream of what looks like a children's show. Wow. But it's hey. dark and troubling and strange. Mm -hmm. And... I learn a lot about uh, the world and me. I'm not sure what I learn. <laughs> I learn a lot. You're, you're exposed to some. Is this like the H.R. Puffin stuff sort of style? Surreal, psychedelic yeah. kids stuff? I had, that... I had not made that connection. Uh, there is no better connection in the world than H.R. Puffin stuff, okay. which is, I swear to God, it was. I'm sure it was some horrible experiment. <laughs> Honest. Some evil Absolutely. genius concocted My that, body right? just started yeah. trembling when you said HR Puffin's <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, so it, yeah. that's that's much worse. I <laughs> want to try to wash that out of my <laughs> mind somehow. But the, the other um, that I watched, it was I thought it was similar and fun, was Rick and Morty, uh, The Philosophy of Szechuan Sauce, uh, Sauce by Wisecrack Edition. Um, and, it, again, I'm not a big Rick and Morty fan, uh, but it was... 
trippy and fun and interesting. And I learned all this stuff about existentialism. It was mind-blowing, educational. Loved it. Fantastic. Loved more stuff like it. Now, are these webisodes, are these to be found on YouTube? Yeah, just, I okay. think that you can look up that, you know, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, Decoded, and uh-huh. that Szechuan Sauce. All right, fun. to our audience. Find those, Google them. We'll provide links on the website and sponsors. It's so consume them. Loved it. Fantastic. Well, that's great. And with that, we're going to call it a wrap for the day. Nice. Um, although, word on the street is that you had more than one haiku when we were Ooh, talking about our, uh, our pretty crime oh, I don't stuff. Know. Yeah. I don't know. Was, YouTube, there's yeah. some rumor going around no, here. I don't know. You two kind of vetoed that, so okay. I'm not sure. Okay, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> a world without crime, where words are no longer said, changed my mind last minute. And... Black sheep forever. The unusual suspects. By the app, Kane's Mark. Oh, and with that mic drop moment, we will call it a wrap. It's Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. We'll be back in a week or two or maybe three, but hopefully (laughs) before then. Uh, Bye, guys. Love you guys. Bye. It's been fun. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.